Please open your, open your Bibles to Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. If you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, that'll be pound on page 818. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Thank you, John, for reading that for us. It's a short passage, but there's a lot packed into it. So let's uh, pray together and ask for God's help. We do thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and uh, showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We pray now that in the moments ahead that, that you would be the one who teaches us through your word, that your spirit would be the one who equips us for every good work for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I admit that I cracked a little smile last week when I realized that Thanksgiving is this week, uh, the, the familiest of the holidays, and we just happened to arrive at this next passage in Matthew's Gospel where we hear Jesus express his theology of the family. I like to I tell you I was clever enough to have planned it out this way, but it just happens to be that in the unfolding purposes of God that we're going to have a Jesus give us a little talk about the family. Uh, how we are to relate to our families, what we're to think about our families in a timely way on the week in which many of us spend more time with our families than we typically do. I do tend to think of Thanksgiving as the familiest of the, the holidays, which is why we hop on those expensive flights for what's essentially a long, day, a long weekend to another state. Or maybe you're going to drive downstate and have dinner with your aunt or uncle who you haven't seen since last Thanksgiving. It's, it's inevitable. Family and Thanksgiving go together. And for some of us, it really is a sweet time. For others of us, you're already a little anxious because it can be awkward. And of course, we have to acknowledge that for many of us, uh, Thanksgiving can be a very difficult time. It might even be a, a non-family event for you which is why I think there's a pretty good chance that if you get on your social media scroll on Thursday, you're going to come across this classic meme that says, Thanksgiving, bringing out the best in family dysfunction since 1863. Now, it's a bit cynical, but it's a good setup for where we're headed. Because uh, Jesus' view of the family uh, doesn't dodge the fact that family can be difficult. In fact, what he says here is quite surprising. But before we get to that, I want to take just a few moments and, and recognize, we'll say, the two ways in which our culture tends to view the family. You can think of this almost like uh, endpoints on a line, one view here, the other view here. Uh, certainly, there's some middle space between the two, but for, for the most part, there, there are two views of the family. As someone I was reading to this week said, there's one view which views family as a straitjacket, the other view which views family as the center of your life. So the view of family as, as a straitjacket, you get it, it's just this idea that uh, family life is restrictive because it gets in the way of you doing what you want to do. So family rules and expectations, they become uh, obligatory, uh, oppressive, 
because they interfere with personal freedom and anything that does that causes some real frustrations. Uh, I, I date myself with this reference, I admit, but then again, I don't think I actually do date myself because, because since 1989, The Simpsons has been going on for 34 seasons and counting. You may have never watched an episode of The Simpsons. You're, you're blessed for doing so or not doing so, but uh, you've still probably heard of Homer and Marge and Bart and Lisa and Maggie. And I was thinking of The Simpsons because one of the staples of most every episode has to do with Bart pressing upon the boundaries of family life. Bart Simpson sees family as a straitjacket. Even his dad, uh, Homer, often feels the same. He gets tired of his family responsibilities, so he's ready to slip away and meet up with his buddies at Moe's bar and blow off some, uh, some steam and spend time with them. It's, it's the idea of family, a straitjacket. It gets in the way of what you want to do. The other uh, sort of cultural view of the family is about family as the center of your life. It's the celebration of, of traditional family values. So uh, you accept uh, limitations put on you by your family because you recognize it will serve a greater good. Uh, in turn, you may find your purpose and joy in your family. It's like what comes through classically so in the Christmas movie uh, Home Alone. Kevin McAllister, Macaulay uh, Calkin spends, of course, the first 65 hilarious minutes of the, of the movie thinking that his family is a total drag, that he doesn't need them, that, in fact, I think I'm quite happy and sufficient without them. But what happens in the end? He hugs his mom with deep affection after the fiasco of her leaving him behind as the family went to France without him. <laughs> he, he hugs her with this, this deep hug, the, uh, the orchestration music cues, a little bit of sentimentality. You go, ah, oh, inside. Well, why do you do that? Because Kevin learned his lesson about the blessing of family. He's recognizing that he's growing up a little bit, <laughs> the goodness of life that can be ours when we intertwine ourselves with, with parents and cousins and aunts and, and siblings and all of the rest. Home Alone uh, has some wonderful Christian themes tucked into it, the family at the center of your life, uh, bringing joy and meaning. Uh, certainly when you take that in contrast to the alternate understanding of family that just keeps you from everything in life you really want. Now, without peeking back at our passage, uh, which of those two views would you expect Jesus to be promoting in Matthew chapter 12? Well, you know, that's really easy. It's the latter view, of course, the traditional family value. Well, he does promote that view in part, but he doesn't advance that view in full. It's one of the many surprises that come out of these verses because his theology of the family, it doesn't really fit neatly in either of those two models. He has a surprising theology of the family, a surprise first century Jews who were very family-centric. I think it disappointed his own mom and brothers. And I think we'll discover that for some of us, it's going to be quite surprising to, what Jesus, to hear what Jesus has to say about these things. Now, we're going to hear what he has to say about family by picking up the storyline again in verse 46. As we do, our narrator is prompting us that he wants to turn his attention away from this escalating controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. And he wants us to think again about the crowds, the, the, the great group of people who've been drawn to Jesus and are just taking in his teaching. Speaking of which, as our scene opens, our narrator simply tells us that Jesus is speaking to the people. He doesn't tell us what he's saying. 
because he wants us to focus on uh, what Jesus says when someone tells him that his family is outside wishing to speak with him. It's such a wonderful picture to seem to imagine in your mind's eye. You've got Jesus, he's like uh, teaching and proclaiming and explaining the kingdom of God. Uh, People are just leaning in, They're, they're locked in. When out of his corner of his eye, he recognizes a little motion and there's a fellow who's trying to get his attention without causing too much of a distraction. Eventually, Jesus looks over and says, well, what's up, my man? And the guy says, well, uh, your mom, Mary, uh, along with your brothers, James and, and, and Joseph and Simon and Judas, they're, they're outside and they want to talk to you. We haven't heard or really thought about Jesus's family since the earlier chapters of Matthew's gospel. I think it's fair to say that they haven't really heard much from him. He's uh, been doing his public ministry in Capernaum. It's like a solid day's travel from uh, the hometown where he grew up and Mary still lives. It's like 20 miles away. So if it's 20 miles away, that means that his mom and brothers just traveled 20 miles to see him. Jesus, your family is at the door. To which Jesus says to the the, the front door bellhop, well, uh, actually, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, motioning to the people in the room. You go, well, that's not very nice. Really, Jesus? You're not going to go outside and see them? You're going to leave your mom hanging? I think she perhaps brought some of those homemade cookies that you like. You're just going to leave her out there. You go, is Jesus being rude here? On the surface, it may see so, but as often as as is true in life, there, there is in fact more to the story that's going on, which is this, that his family has shown up because they're concerned about him perhaps even embarrassed of him. Mark's gospel tells this very same story, and it includes includes the little note that Jesus' family thought that he had gone mad, that that he's delusional, that he has a a Messiah complex, no no pun intended. They they think he's gone crazy. In fact, uh, John's gospel also tells us that his brothers did not believe in him and who he claimed to be for, for the a long portion of their lives. So they, they think that he has gone mad. So when you think of them standing outside of the house hoping to speak to him, I, I don't think that we should see them as supporters who've come to encourage him. Really, as painful as it is to say, Jesus' family is actually among those who aren't on the same page as him. Or, if you wanted the, uh, the word pictures of the passage to make uh, the point... Jesus' family members are outsiders. They're not part of the inner group. And that imagery of outsiders uh, now gets us to the first of our three bullet points about Jesus' theology of the family, which is that, number one, family ties aren't enough. Family ties aren't enough. Before I unpack that, I just want to acknowledge my indebtedness to another pastor, Kevin DeYoung, from whom I've borrowed these three points as he summarized them. I found it to be helpful, and I've worked the rest for myself, but I want to give credit where credit is due. Family ties aren't enough. Let's see what Jesus uh, teaches us about the family by leaving his outside at the front door and thus making the point that family ties aren't enough. Which is to say that you aren't part of Jesus' inner circle by virtue of merely being related to him. That's a warning to any of us who are tempted to think that you can have an in with Jesus because you're in proximity to him. 
Uh, we don't get it in with Jesus because uh, you're familiar with the church or even because you go to church. After all, Jesus doesn't say in this passage, uh, whoever grew up going to synagogue is part of God's family along with me. You don't get an in with Jesus by going to church. Nor do you get an in because of a family member's Christian profession. I mean, just think about it. If playing the family card didn't get uh, his mom in to see him, then what hope do you or I have in these things? F family ties aren't enough. No, says Jesus. Those inside the room, these are my people. This is my family. Now, Jesus isn't denying what his birth certificate says. Uh, he, he knows that Mary is his mom. He knows that his earthly father uh, was Joseph, who presumably passed away in his younger years. He knows who his parents are and that his siblings outside the front door are his for reals uh, half-brothers that they are his siblings via the sexual relations between Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born. Jesus, of course, was born of the Virgin Mary via the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of the incarnation. And her other sons, who are now traveling with her, highlight the fact that Mary didn't then remain a virgin for the remainder of her marriage to Joseph. I don't say that as a hot take, uh, you know, looking for an easy opportunity to poke our Roman Catholic friends in the eye who speak of the perpetual virginity of marriage, of Mary, rather. They make that claim, but it's not found in the Scriptures. It was a teaching that was added to the narrative of Scripture centuries later uh, in a false sort of way. If you just simply allow the Bible to frame the facts for us, these guys at the door with Mary are her grown sons birthed from her body. They are Jesus's half-brothers. Even the distinguished Roman Catholic biblical scholar Daniel Harrington notes in his commentary on Matthew that, quote, it is doubtful that Matthew knew the tradition of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Now, in calling the, the, the relative strangers in the room, his spiritual mother and brothers and sisters, Jesus is making the point that, that you're not part of his inner circle by virtue of family ties. That the only connection that matters to him is your inner connection with him. Maybe think about it like this. When you go knocking on the door of heaven, so to speak, it's going to be all about who you know. God will look upon you in view of your connection to Jesus or, or, the, or the absence of it. You won't stand with your family on the day of judgment. You're going to stand all alone. And the only thing that will help you is whether or not you're personally connected to Jesus by faith, whether you've put your trust in him. That, that is eternally necessary because family ties aren't enough. That's the first bullet point. That's what comes out of Jesus' theology of the family. Family ties aren't enough. The second surprising point he makes is that family doesn't come first. Oh boy, here we go. Family doesn't come first. Isn't that the unspoken point he's making in leaving his earthly family standing outside the front door while he spends time with those inside the door? Family doesn't come first. It's a stinger of a statement for some of us. But let's not allow his, his startling point to be mistaken for, for his only point. 
I mean, after all, we, we know from other snapshots in Jesus's life that he, he models the way in which familial ties still have meaning and significance. Uh, think about it when he was younger. We have that story about how Jesus, he honored his mom and his dad. We have that, that picture from the cross where Jesus looks after the well-being of uh, his mom, Mary, and trusting her into the care of the apostle John. For Jesus, uh, family relations and family ties, they represent something important. But seeing him make the point that family doesn't come first is to recognize that when you belong to Jesus, you have a tie with spiritual brothers and sisters that's an even stronger tie than the bond you might share with your earthly siblings because the bond with spiritual siblings is an eternal tie. So to, to be a Christian is to know, is to now belong to God's family and his will for your life, your father's in heaven's will, takes priority over the wishes of your family if they're in contradiction with one another. This is how Jesus' theology of the family, it like pushes against the notion that your family is supposed to be the very center of your life. Don't mistake me here. There are lots of, of wonderful Christian virtues that come through in a traditional family uh, value perspective. Uh, loving and serving one another, looking after our parents as they age. Family is established by, by God for our good, but we aren't to look to it for our ultimate meaning and purpose. You shouldn't look for meaning and purpose and happiness and wholeness in your family or even in your spouse. Just think about it. How unfair is it for you to hope to, to, to heap all of your expectations upon another person and say, you must be my source of happiness and wholeness? It doesn't work. That'll disappoint you. So when you watch those uh, sentimental Hallmark holiday movies, you can watch it as the uh, ending comes and everyone's happy because family life is all put together. You go, well, uh, that doesn't happen sometimes. And even if it does happen, the way it's presented, it's, it's just unhelpful. It's, it's untrue. It just doesn't square with the understanding of your family. You can't find your wholeness in your family. Uh, God, of course, not our families, ought to give us meaning and purpose, for God alone can satisfy us in, in, the, in deep ways. So, family is this wonderful blessing, but it mustn't become an idol for us, which, which it can easily become. And I use this word very importantly, purposefully, when we get obsessed You'll know that you're, you're, you're teetering into idolatry territory about your family when you get obsessed with what everybody else thinks of you. you. You say to yourself, well, do my parents value what I'm doing now that I'm at this stage of life? Do, do my siblings uh, approve of me? Are you obsessed with these things? Or are you completely uh, undone as you ask yourself, am, am I as good as a, a mom or a dad as so-and-so? As you scroll through your Instagram and you see everybody posting their parenting wins, you go, oh, am I that good? We think about children, we know they're a gift from the Lord, but they too can become an idol. An idol in your marriage if they're the glue that's holding you together or the wedge which is driving you apart. This is, what I, this is where this line that family doesn't come first, it actually has to press upon us because Jesus must be first. He is the Lord, our God. What did the commandments say? We are to have no other idols or gods before him. God gave us that command for our good because our families are going to let us down. 
Your, your family can't provide meaning for your life. It's not glorious enough to do so. Not only that, but, but Jesus knows about the challenges of family life. He knows about losing a parent when, when you're young. He knows that marriages end in divorce. He knows that parents can be cruel to their children. So, so family, it's meant to be a blessing from God, but it's going to have its disappointments, maybe worse than that, and you'll be supremely disappointed if you make an idol out of it. Family doesn't come first. It comes second. Jesus must be first. Just a note in passing, but if we believe about the primacy of the spiritual family, then you go, well, I guess it means that we here at Parkside Westside should uh, take a, a look around the room and, and just look for opportunities to invite the, the fatherless, uh, the widowed, those who are on their own into our families and our homes. If you just do the math, if, if you were to add up the, the divorced, uh, the widowed, and those who've never been married, it actually represents a pretty big number of adults who, who are single. So as Christian families, spiritual brothers and sisters, let's make room in our hearts and probably at our tables for, for others who would be helped by these things. So very simply, by way of summary, Jesus' theology of the family that he's expressing on this particular day with the recognition and acknowledgement that this isn't the only place where we put together the theology of the family. Keep that in view. But, but number one, let's just be a bit startled by what he's saying here. Because when it comes down to it, being connected to him via family, well, that's not enough. Family ties aren't enough. And that number two, when it comes to who or what matters most for us as Christian people, family doesn't come first. Which now brings us to his third bullet point, which has a bit of a different feel than the first two, and it is this. God's family is open to all. God's family is open to all. This is what he's getting at when he says in verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. With this bold statement, Jesus is showing how the, the kingdom of God isn't open to an exclusive who's who's list, but it's open to the whoever. Uh, Jesus is he's redefining God's family in a way that opens the doors to Jews and, and Gentiles, uh, to, to black and white and rich or poor, woman or man. What, what Jesus is doing here is that, just think about the word picture again. He, he's opening the front door widely, and he's welcoming all from any background to come to him who will accept him on his terms. The, the kingdom of God is open to whoever. Who, whoever what? Well, whoever believes. That, that's what we'd expect to hear Jesus say. But it's not what he says in this situation. Instead, he emphasizes the whoever does. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. That's who truly belongs to the church. That's who's in family fellowship with his father, whoever does God's will. Uh, we, we read that, and some of us think to ourselves, oh dear, have, have we as Protestants misunderstood Jesus for centuries now? After all, we, we, we say to one another that the gospel isn't about our, our doing. It's what Jesus has done in full on our behalf. So we don't do our way into God's acceptance we, we, we trust and believe by faith alone that Jesus makes us acceptable to God. 
How does God, how does he do so? Well, he makes it, he does so by accomplishing that, that great exchange in our lives, the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he, tread, and he credits his righteousness to our account. He takes our garbage. He gives us his, his glories. The great exchange. Uh, that's, the, that's the gospel, right? No doing. He did it for us. So, so what's Jesus getting at here in talking about the necessity of doing the will of God? Well, he's illustrating what faith alone looks like which as we like to say is that faith is never alone because those who are in fellowship with God they end up talking in a certain way they they do life in a certain way their words and works show that they have been made right with God if you if you think about it, it actually isn't all that shocking because it's much like our earthly families think about it we we look like the family we belong to we live like the family we belong to. And in the same sort of way, those who are in fellowship with God's family talk and do life in a certain way in, in God's way, according to God's will. And what is the will of God? Well, it's the will of God for you to trust Christ and to obey Him. If you do that, you're in His family. You can belong, you do belong, you will belong. Jesus won't claim you because of your parents' faith, but he will claim all who come to him upon his terms. Speaking of his terms, I addressed our Roman Catholic friends a little earlier on. I want to do so again, but probably not in the way you're expecting. I'm gonna read something for us from uh, Charles Spurgeon Autobiography, Volume 2, Chapter 59. Spurgeon, he lived in the 19th century. He, he was a Baptist pastor, he was nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. He, he got that gloss because he was just uniquely used by God in his day. He was uh, robust in his Protestant theology, convictional, clear, articulate about his opposition to Roman Catholic doctrine that, that doesn't square with the Bible. I say all that about him by way of precursor so that you won't misunderstand the words that he wrote. Instead, I'm actually hoping that this is going to illustrate how Jesus opens up the front door widely to any and all who come to him on his terms. Quote, In Brussels, I heard a good sermon in a Romish church. The place was crowded with people, many of them standing, and I stood too. And the good priest, for I believe he is a good man, preached the Lord Jesus with all his might. He spoke of the love of Christ so that I a very poor hand at the French language, could fully understand him. And my heart kept beating within as he told me of Christ's beauties and the preciousness of his blood and of his power to save the chief of sinners. He did not say justification by faith, but he did say efficacy of the blood, which comes to very much the same thing. He did not tell us we were saved by grace and not by our works, but he did say that all the works of men were less than nothing when brought into competition with the blood of Christ and that the blood of Jesus alone could save. True, there were objectionable sentences, as naturally there must be in a discourse delivered under such circumstances. But I could have gone to the preacher and have said to him, Brother, you have spoken the truth. And if I had been handling his text, 
I must have treated it in the same way that he did if I could have done it as well. I was pleased to find my own opinion verified in his case that there are, even in the apostate church, some who cleave unto the Lord, some sparks of heavenly fire that flicker amidst the rubbish of old superstition, some lights that are not blown out even by the strong wind of popery, but still cast a feeble gleam across the water sufficient to guide the soul into the rock Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. God's family is open to all who come to Jesus on his terms, the efficacy of his blood, not our works, but his work. Any who come to Jesus on his terms are, are welcome to come. And in a day to come, I think some of us are going to be surprised that some of God's people who are in the great gathering of the people will be those who are scattered among the Roman Catholic Church, among uh, mainline Protestant denominations, charismatic churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, uh, Nazarene churches. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The will of God is for you to trust Christ and to obey him. If you do that, you're Jesus' brother and sister and mother. Did you catch the little wonderful encouragement that's tucked into Jesus' grammar structure? He, he doesn't use the word or. He uses the word and. Not brother or sister or mother, but brother and sister and mother. To which the commentator quarrels or writes this. He says, The disciple is like brother, sister, and mother of Jesus wrapped up into one. Jesus' love for each disciple exceeds his love for his entire biological family combined. <laughs> if that doesn't win you over and warm your heart, I actually don't know what will. Jesus' love for each disciple exceeds his love for his entire biological family combined. That is what is true of you, Christian person. This is how much Jesus loves you. And the reality of you being loved and belonging to God's family, it's recognized and it's felt in and through the local church. It's why he gave the church to us. We are God's family on earth. But we need to be family to one another because I know that there are some here who have never been part of a healthy family or, or you live far away from uh, your family or your family is largely just your, yourself. So for us to take these things is to say, well, well uh, we need to, to be family to one another, to uh, the divorced, the widowed, to, to those who live far from their families, to, to college students, to adults who've never been married. As we make ourselves known to others and put in the time and effort to know our Christian siblings, I, I know that we'll have a, an increasing sense of belonging to God's family. We'll be used by God to make others feel and sense the same. So, so much so that even if Thanksgiving the, this week is just a, another family disappointment to you, or you're dreading it because it's so uncomfortable because you know you're going to be the only Christian at the table, well, well as you sit there, take some solace and some hope in Jesus' words that you have Christian brothers and sisters who, who uh, can make up for on Thursday, who can, for what you miss out on Thursday, can be made up for in the relationships that they have with you. Because God blesses the church. He blesses his family on earth. Just take the pictures of the passage and apply it here. 
when we open our red doors to one another, when we move from outside to inside, when we take our seat next to each other, we specially experience God's acceptance of us. That's why the gathering of God's people is so important for you to be a part of, because you go, God loves me. God keeps me more than the combined biological account of Jesus's earthly family. When we come together, we experience in a very special way how our Heavenly Father loves us, he, he feeds us, He cares for us as members of His very own family, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh.